Throughout the early years of the church, Jesus' followers faced hit after hit coming their way. On top of the Roman government and the Jewish temple trying to stop them, those early Jesus' followers faced several plagues and epidemics. And yet, the church came out of those situations so much stronger and with greater influence. Also, in various parts of the world still to this day, Jesus' followers face incredible persecution, and yet the church goes faster in those regions than it does here. So one of the most intriguing questions about Christianity is, how do we know the story of Jesus 2,000 years later? Uh, narrowing the focus a bit, how did Christianity survive the first 300 years? And then not only that, but how did it expand and grow into every region of the world? Now, the first part of this intriguing question is that the name of Jesus survived the first century. His teachings survived the first century, and he started a movement that survived Rome and has captured the attention of a third of the population in the world. That's incredible, right? But the second part involves the eyewitnesses and those involved in the church in the first century. The church started with a handful of people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus rising from the dead, or they knew someone who was an eyewitness. And they lived in the city of Jerusalem outside the walls where he was actually crucified. And again, they were eyewitnesses of a resurrected Jesus. A few months after that, about 120 of these eyewitnesses went into the streets of Jerusalem and they began proclaiming that Jesus is the risen Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he has been raised from the dead. And Luke tells us that the church started that day when they began to preach that message, and about 3,000 people became Christians, embracing the idea that Jesus was the Son of the living God and that he had risen from the dead, not 20 years ago and not 500 miles away and not in a galaxy far, far away, but like right over there, 100 yards from where we're standing right now. And the church was born. And the church was a movement. Uh, there were no buildings, there was no liturgy, and there were no banners, no bands. There were none of those things. There were no pastors. It was a group of people that saw something, saw someone, and believed something had happened supernaturally in their midst. And the church was born. And the church was a movement of people who had a simple mission for people to know that Jesus was the risen Son of God. And then he rose from the dead, and that the death and resurrection offered everyone new life. And they went out from their community and began to spread this good news. And it was a totally outwardly focused movement. But again, this wasn't without seasons of the hits coming their way. Again, on top of the Roman persecution and the Jewish objections, these, earlier, these early Jesus followers also faced epidemics and plagues without the help of modern technology and science. And the terrible plague of the second century may have killed one quarter of the Roman Empire. However, because of how Jesus followers cared for the sick and offered an alternate direction to the commonly held belief that the angry deities were punishing the people, because of the, that church, because of that idea, the church actually grew and led to the good news of Jesus spreading even further during those times. Uh, maybe more famously, the epidemic of the third century was something that was possibly related to Ebola. Uh, this plague impacted the world, but it also led to opportunities for Christians to care for the sick, which needless to say was a powerful statement to the sick people and to their families. And then a century later, Emperor Julian, who was actively seeking to increase pagan worship, wrote about the Jesus followers, also called the Galileans, because Jesus was from Galilee. And Julian wrote this to other pagan priests about why their plan to restore paganism might not work. He said this, The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. And one of the reasons that these Galileans, the Jesus followers, or the Christians, would live like this during pandemics, when the hits just kept on coming, was because of something we might not naturally put together with that. 
And as we're going to see today, one trademark or indicator of Jesus followers living this way is how they pray. Now, one of the ways that you can tell the focus of Jesus followers is by their prayers. How a Christian, how a group of Jesus followers, how a church prays, and how the leaders pray, how the people in the church pray, is one indicator whether or not the church is living like the early church did. We're continuing the series called The Hits Just Keep On Coming, which is likely self-explanatory right now, given the season of problem after problem coming our way, with seemingly no end in sight. That as difficult as life is right now, we have no promise that it's going to get better in 2022. What if the hits just keep on coming? How do we keep moving forward? What will happen to your faith and my faith if it doesn't get better this year? How do you and I maintain or grow our faith if it doesn't get better? My hope for all of us in this series is that God would help us develop and grow into pandemic-proof faith. A faith that is able to make it through anything. A faith that is strong enough to make it through whatever the next challenge is that there are principles that we can hold on to that help us when the hits just keep on coming. In week one, we said, faith is best secured to actual promises, not possible outcomes. That our faith is not secured to the possibility that things will get better, which might sound pessimistic, but also means that because of the actual promises God has given us, we can get through every challenge and, and really very challenging times. And then in week two, we said that grace is God working even when we don't see him. That God is doing something right in the middle of our suffering, even when we can't see him working. And then last week, we talked about the shifts in our culture that can lead to movement away from a relationship, away from community, and away from interaction. And that includes the movement from the pandemic, away from those things as well. So we said community is essential, has to be intentional, and will be inconvenient. That community and relationships that help secure us to a faith they can make it through anything. Community that reminds us of what is most important in this life and in the next. And so far, we found those principles mostly in a single narrative from the life of two early church planters, Paul and Silas. And today we're going to sort of rewind a bit uh, back to the months right after the resurrection of Jesus. And the people in those early days, they sort of laid a foundation to share the message of Jesus with their generation and also with the generations after them. And that foundation was laid and really can be identified by how they prayed and followed Jesus' example. And before we look at their prayers, I want you to think about the prayers that you pray. Because for the most part, we pray for ourselves and maybe a few sick people. And then on top of that, for the most part, what we actually pray for ourselves about is really kind of absurd. Because for the most part, we pray for stuff that is going to happen anyway. And for the most part, the stuff we pray for does not really use God's energy. And the thing that many of our prayers have in common is really us. It's about us. And as we've said before, uh, if God did answer all of your prayers in the last year, would you be the only person that would be better off? Uh, you'd be married, uh, your, your kids would have done better in school, uh, you'd have already graduated with a higher GPA, you would have a job or, or maybe a better paying job. If God would have answered all of your prayers last year, would you be better off? But would anybody else be better off as well? And my concern as a pastor of this church is that self-centered prayers can actually lead or eventually lead to self-centered people and eventually to a self-centered church. But if you're watching today, I imagine I know something about you. You want to be a part of something bigger than yourself because no one's going to give up their Sunday morning anyway. Uh, they're not going to go give up their time throughout the week and they're not going to give up their resources just for themselves. That You can do that without a church, right? However, if you want to be a part of a movement that impacts future generations, especially when the hits just keep on coming, 
If you want to be a part of that, then I want to challenge you to start praying a different kind of prayer. And today we're going to look at one of the first prayers that the first group of Jesus followers prayed. And before we read their powerful prayer, let me set the scene for us. Uh, this reading comes right after 3,000 people joined the church in one day. And then a few days later, Peter and Paul go into the temple, and while they're there, they see a beggar who hasn't been able to walk for his whole life. And they don't have any money to give him, but they have something better. And somehow, this guy is miraculously healed, and he can walk. And then they head into the temple, and other people see that this beggar is now healed, who, who they've seen before. And Peter can't help himself, and he starts pre preaching a message right there in the temple, even though he had no authority to preach there. And then by the end of that day, Luke tells us that 5,000 people now believed in Jesus. That the leaders in charge of the temple told Peter and John that they couldn't come again and cause this type of problem. And they end up arresting Peter and John for the night. And then in the morning, the leaders pull Peter and John out of jail and bring them in asking, how are you doing these things? Uh, which sort of sets us up to find the answer to that question as well. And to answer that question, Peter launches into another sermon about Jesus being the Son of God and rising from the dead. And here is the final part of his sermon that will give us an indicator of how they kept, get, how they kept going even when the hits kept coming. Uh, we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 4. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to Bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the More menu option in the bottom right corner, select Events, and then you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Again, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. There is no salvation, or there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Like, isn't that kind of narrow-minded, Peter? Like, what about Jesus was a good guy? Moses was a good guy? Abraham was a good guy? And interestingly, Peter still smells like jail for saying the same exact stuff exactly like this. And yet he can't shut up. God has done something miraculous, he would say, and he has sent his son, and we can't stop talking about him. You need to embrace Jesus, was basically what he said. And this really sort of bugged the religious leaders, right? Uh, however, there was a, actually a really big problem in front of them, that the guy who had been healed, he came to this meeting. He's like standing right there, and everyone's sort of standing there knowing what had happened to this guy. And since they couldn't really punish the miracle worker, verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were, they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing they, the council could say. Now Luke might have mentioned that this guy was standing right there, sort of making note of the fact that he couldn't stand prior to this miracle. And this is his second day of standing in his whole life. And so maybe uh, the day before, he sort of immediately went clothes shopping with his wife so he could just stand there while she tried on clothes. But there was nothing that these leaders could say to refute what had happened to this man because they had all seen him before. And so they instead insisted on something to, for Peter and John, that we're going to let you go, but shut up. Like, don't come in here anymore with this ridiculous teaching. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the resurrection. Just keep your mouth shut, Peter and John. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Can you imagine how you would respond at that moment with that situation happening? If you were the other believers, you almost lost guy number one and guy number two, like the most important people. Uh, they spent a night in the jail and they barely escaped with their lives. 
Or maybe if you're Peter and John, you sort of just faced the most powerful people in the region who were instrumental in having Jesus also killed. So how would we respond? Again, if we were the church leaders, we might have said to Peter and John, like, well, first, like, you can't travel together anymore because if you both are gone, we're in trouble. Uh, Second, we need to purchase a security detail for you because you are just too important to lose. And then third, we have to tone down the rhetoric. Since the resurrection is what is getting the people so upset, no more resurrection talk. And we would tell Peter and John to sort of lay low while the hits are coming, and then we can get back to sharing about Jesus and the resurrection later. And that is a careful plan. But that is not what these leaders did in the face of serious hits continuing to come their way. Verse 24, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And they prayed. But as we'll see in the face of huge challenges, they didn't pray like many of us pray. Because as Americans, we pray for protection. God, protect us. Don't let us. Bless us. Keep us. Cover us. Put a dome over us. Bubble wrap us. Our prayers are about safety, protection, and comfort. Here is their prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Basically, in other words, God, before we ask for anything, we want to remind ourselves and you that we know who we're talking to. Sovereign sort of means nothing is out of your control. Nothing happens without you knowing about it, that you made everything, God. And then they quote a passage that sort of predicted that Jesus and his followers would be persecuted and mistreated, that none of that is outside of our sovereign God's control. None of those events were spiraling out of control. And they would say our sovereign God even oversaw the crucifixion of our friend Jesus. And then they get to their request, which is where we usually start, right? God, thank you for, here's what I need. Well, here's their request. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. You're asking for boldness? Uh, isn't boldness the reason why these hits keep coming your way? Isn't boldness what you got in, what got you into this problem? Isn't boldness what put you in jail? Isn't boldness what has created this problem between you and the Jewish leaders and you and the Roman Empire? Isn't boldness the problem? Because from our perspective, you believers are pretty bold already. Like, Peter, you already went out into the streets, preached, and 3,000 people put their trust in Jesus. I think you've got boldness. You're good with boldness. But here's what they continue. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. So have you recently prayed for great boldness, even during this pandemic? Do you remember the last time that you prayed for boldness? Is it even in our vocabulary as Christians, as Jesus followers in the Bay Area, to ask God to give us boldness, to speak his word, to represent him in the marketplace, in our neighborhoods, with our family, and with our friends, to speak with boldness? Because usually we pray little prayers, occasionally, like, God help her hear about Jesus. I'm not going to say anything. I just want you to help her to become a Christian, and then I'll say something. Have you ever asked God to give you great boldness in preaching his word? I'm not saying to pray for weirdness, like the bumper stickers and the strange social media posts and wearing Christian t-shirts. Not weirdness that is usually more about us than about other people. But have you ever prayed for boldness? Do you know why the message of Jesus got all the way to this century? It's partly because the first century Christians, the Jesus followers, they prayed for boldness and they followed Jesus boldly. And for many of us, we don't even think about that idea. But then... They actually ask for one more thing. Verse 30, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done 
through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles and signs and wonders. Have you ever asked God for that? Now, you might ask, like, well, is that a trick question? Because you just said, don't pray for weirdness, which is what some of us think of when we think of that idea. And part of the reason this is weird for some of us is because Christians now want to heal and perform miracles in the church. However, what we were Peter, John, and the other believers actually asking to do, they were asking to go out into the community among people who didn't believe and to live their lives in such a way that people who doubted or skeptical or curious would see something. That, that, that must have been an act of God, they would say. And what if in the face of adversity right now, with the hits continuing to come our way, what if you began to pray your version of this prayer? God, would you please stretch out your hand and do something through me in my community, among my unbelieving friends, uh, among my anti-religion friends and family, among those who believe differently than me? God, would you be willing to stretch out your hand and do something unusual? Not for my benefit, not inside the church, but for the benefit of those who don't believe yet. And here's an important point about the miracles in the New Testament. The miracles weren't for the sake of the people whom the miracles were performed on. That the lame guy from the, the beginning of this story, this narrative that we've been talking about, uh, you know that he died later, right? Like all the people in the Bible times that were healed eventually died. That these miracles weren't necessarily just for them, though obviously they were good for them. That the point of the healing in the New Testament wasn't just for the sake of the people who were healed, but the point of the miracles were so people would go, ah, tell me more about that. The point wasn't some sort of strange, spooky, hypnotic trance thing. That wasn't what this was about. They are asking to go out into the community and demonstrate the power of God, not for themselves, but for the sake of what God was going to do through the church in their community. So I want you to ask, can you imagine what would happen if we began to add this to our prayers? God give me great boldness. God give me boldness so I would see opportunities and take advantage of those opportunities. Like, I'm not a bold person, God, but would you give me boldness? Uh, would you stretch out your hand through me in a way that would get my friends and my family's attention, who don't think about Jesus, who don't think about church, and don't think about God? Would you do something through me that would help them to give you a chance? Can you imagine what might happen in our community if we added this to our prayers? And here's what will happen if you do this. You will see more opportunities to take advantage of, because God designed you to see what you're looking for. When you begin to pray for boldness, for opportunities, and for God to do something through you, you are going to see things you haven't seen before. And perhaps God is going to do something through you that he might not have done through you otherwise. And I want you to sort of shift and maybe just add this to your prayers. God, give me boldness. God, stretch out your hand. And if you could do something in my life that would cause the people around me to go, hey, then God, I'm available. I want you to do that, God. God, would you help me to see the opportunities? Because I think God is going to answer those types of prayers. But there are some obstacles to doing this. Obstacle number one is convenience. Uh, Lim, Lyman Stone says this, The first sacrifice Christians must make to care for our neighbor is our convenience. And likely the first sacrifice a person needs to make to follow Jesus at all is our convenience. And if that's true, then before praying for boldness, we need to understand our convenience could be an obstacle to being bold, and we might need to sacrifice our convenience. Uh, obstacle number two is our perspective. Uh, we haven't really talked about this yet, but in this series, uh, there's an important idea that we haven't mentioned. There are opportunities because the hits just keep on coming. 
Uh, we know all about the uncertainty and the problems from the hits coming continuing to come. But on the flip side, and with a different perspective, there are opportunities because of the pandemic. Unchurched, de-churched, never-churched people are sort of sitting up and asking questions they might never have asked previously. But they're, they're asking those questions now because of, the, because of this pandemic. And when we pray for boldness in demonstrating God's work to people, we will also need God's perspective to see those opportunities before us. Because in following Jesus, following is asking for boldness and looking for opportunities to share Jesus. Uh, in just a moment, I would like us to read this prayer together out loud, even wherever you're at. Uh, I'll read it first and then invite everyone to pray it together with me in a bit. Here's the prayer. And now, O Lord, see our situation and give us great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of Jesus. That if you're a Christian, you should pray this prayer because the first century Christians prayed bold prayers even when the hits just kept on coming. And part of the reason that you even know about Jesus is because of their bold prayers. That your normal prayers and my normal prayers might not have gotten Christianity out of the first century. Because they're typically all about me. Protect me. Help me. Keep me safe. Amen, right? And praying this type of prayer changes us. And it will help us move forward even when the hits just keep on coming. So I invite you to pray this prayer out loud with me right now. And now, O Lord, see our situation, and give us great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of Jesus. And God, we pray that prayer today. We ask that you would do something through us, that God, you would give us boldness in the situations before us, that you'd help us to see clearly the opportunities that we have to be bold, and that God, you would give us the courage and the boldness to step into those and to be bold. And God, would you help us to differentiate when it sort of becomes about us and it's that weird thing that sometimes Christians do? Would you help us to see clearly when it's all about the other person and, and it might cost us something. It might cost us our convenience. It might cost us some status in people's eyes. But God, when it's about other people, would you help us to be willing to sacrifice that? Would you help us to be bold in those situations? And God, would you do something special through us that I don't really know how all these miracle things happen and how you work through us to do that? But God, would you do something special through us, not because of us, and not because of any attention we might get, but because it would get the attention of those around us. Would you help them to look up and see you because of something you did through us? God, we want this pandemic to end. We don't want it to continue. But God, as long as it goes, would you help us to look to you for boldness? Would you help us to take advantage of every opportunity that we have? Would you help us to see every opportunity we have to help be bold, and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.